Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophia. And this is Every Rom-Com, the podcast that has fun taking romantic comedies seriously. On today's episode, we'll talk about writer-director Alice Wu. And discuss love, life and love in a small town. And we'll get to the bottom of the philosophical question, what is love? Posed in the 2020 film, The Half of It. Sophia. Hi, Jen. That was awesome. <laughs> Jamming over here. Yeah, that's your first time with our, hearing our new intro music that I got from the copyright free web. Very Excellent. Exciting. Yes. <laughs> Very good. So, this, though the people listening to this will be receiving it sometime in January, we are recording this just after the holidays, just before the new year. How mm. were your holidays? Good. You know, not the same. We didn't see any family in person. It was the three of us. Um, um, but that was that was nice. Um, yeah. And uh, we, I, I really went out and spoiled our daughter this year, and all <laughs> of the presents that were under the tree for her. And when she went down to see it, <laughs> I heard her from the kitchen go, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, it was great. It was great. How about you? What did you guys do? Like, honestly, it's pretty normal for my husband and I to spend our holidays either on our own or like maybe not with a ton of people. You know, we lived abroad for so many years. So holidays were always different when we lived abroad. Like I spent one Christmas Eve abroad, like Mm -hmm. in Japan on a visa run to get my visa changed. And like I was at this mall where they had like a, a crazy Christmas show with like fake snow and like they goes flying from the sky and then like people dressed as fairies lip syncing and dancing to Christmas carols. So like there is in my past, I've had some fairly abnormal Christmases and this one was pretty, like pretty standard, like hang with Lee, watch our Muppets Christmas Carol and hang out with our cat. So yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. Good. Good. (laughs) So we're going to have, we're going to be talking about um, today the half of it um, from 2020, and it is a modernization of a classic literature tale, Cyrano de Bergerac. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing a series of these modernizations of classic literature. So you can expect from us Clueless, 10 Things I Hate About You, Bride and Prejudice, and She's the Man coming up. In in the coming weeks, we haven't done one of these previews yet. So I wanted to like, just let you guys know some of the things that will be on the way. Um, And this is being, you know, recorded out of sync. So we may not be able to get to comments and questions right away. We'll have to figure that out. But if you want to email us, uh, us with feedback, you can email us at feedback at everyromcom.com. And you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com as well as where you get your podcasts. And we're, we're our first episode on Moonstruck. We we were not so good about separating spoilers from a spoiler free zone, but for the last couple episodes, we've been making an effort to have a spoiler free section, and then we'll announce when we're going to start talking about spoilers. So just for the convenience of people who may not have seen the film. All right, now let's get into the half of it. I'm 17. I live in Squamish with my dad. 
I run a business writing essays for people. I guess I just never thought I'd need anyone else. Hey, hold up. $10 for three pages. No, I'm not trying to cheat. What's this? A letter. Maybe you can make me sound smart. Dear Astor Flores, I'm in love with you. Ooh. These hallways are murder. I'm a lead you. Yeah, I know. You want a letter about love? I'll write you a letter about love. <laughs> yeah, that's our trailer. And Sophia, you're the one who found this film. Like, how did you happen to run into it? Yeah, it came up on Netflix. It was like new on Netflix. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds interesting. Um, yeah. That, that Cyrano-y kind of take where, like, you know, the guy asks the girl to write, you know, love letters to the girl that he likes, but she falls in love with the girl. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. That's cool, you know. Of course, this was a crazy year, and originally it was going to be released at the, on the festival circuit, apparently, but instead it went to Netflix in May of the this year, and Sophia found it, and here we are. And it has a writer-director, Alice Wu. Mm-hmm. We both like a writer-director. Yep, yep. <laughs> a female writer-director, to be honest. Yeah, at which that, is also awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I like any writer director because for me, like I feel like you're go- you feel like you're going to get a complete vision that way. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't yeah, yeah. always work out that way. Like sometimes a director will like do great things to a script and like see it in a new way. But a lot of times, like when you get a writer director, you just get that full vision. Yep, and I really think you do. Like yeah. with this film, just watching and reading interviews with Alice Wu, it's her vision is there 100% and it's beautiful. Yeah. And the stars of this, we have Leah Lewis, who is playing Ellie Chu, the main character, Daniel Deemer, who is playing Paul Munsky, who asks Ellie to write the letters and Alexis. I don't actually know how to pronounce her last name. Lemire. Lemire. She plays Aster, who is the object of both of their affections. So I think like, this is the least rom-commy movie we have done so far because right like near the beginning of the movie, Ellie's narration says, in case you haven't guessed, this is not a love story or not one where anyone gets what they want. <laughs> yeah. But, but like Cyrano de Bergerac is, is in a way a tragedy. Like, right. Like, there's like, and this is not that either. This is still a comedy. Funny things happen and there's still love and there's hope. Let's we got to tell the people a little bit about the plot here really quick. Sure. So I do want to say premise. real quick, if I can, about this oh, sure. truly, yes, not being your, t- your typical rom-com, but in my opinion, better that way. I, there were parts where I truly laughed out loud mm. um, or I just kind of did that cackle thing <laughs> where my family was like, what's, what's wrong? What, what is that? And I'm like, that was great. Um, <laughs> where you're, classic i don't know typical mainstream rom-com there's so much things that happen that are supposed to be funny they're like over the top oh, yeah, and a little yeah. ridic- that make them like completely unbelievable and cheesy and and there i feel in lies like the problem of a rom-com the the calm part of the rom anyway that's my thought on that okay. i did laugh out loud that is good like i did i think i did a little bit too yeah and we'll get into that more when we talk mostly about paul <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the movie, we've got Ellie Chu, and she's the protagonist. She's very intelligent. She's a Chinese American immigrant, and she lives with her father, who is a widower, in a, in a small town in Washington. And 
she's running basically an essay mill for all the students at her school. Like they pay her to write their essays and she kind of needs the money because sometimes they're a little behind. And a boy who's doesn't really have a knack for words. He's a football player named Paul Munsky hires her to write a love letter to Astra Flores. And that's a girl that he's really into. And I think, I feel like the movie insinuates that she has also admired her even before this offer was made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And then in the process of writing the letters to Astor and the text to Astor, though, Ellie sort of her attraction to Astor deepens. So, Mm. and therein lies the complication. So, Sophia, what did you, what is your general opinion of the film? I think I already have a sense, but. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. It was um, just, I think you said these words, you know, hopeful and, um, and, and just, oh man, I watched the whole thing going, oh. Oh, <laughs> like that just to myself. And um, because there were so many sweet, tender, like so much heart. Yeah. Um, you know, these characters, I, I think they're easily loved and. Um, yeah. And you I, root for them, you know. I definitely agree with you on that front. I feel like the characters are just really well developed in this film. And that's often a sign of a writer director Um, (laughs) and somebody who just values characterization a lot. Like not that things don't also happen. There's also a good plot, but like, yeah, I really cared about the people in the movie for sure. Yeah. It was beautiful and beautifully filmed. Um, I looked up the cinematographer. I'm like, this is so beautiful. Um, and oh yeah, go ahead, give her a shout out. Do you remember? Oh the- yeah, Greta Zuzula. Oh, Zuzula, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I think that's um, right. Yeah, Zuzula. In my opinion, up and coming. Like, I yeah. hope we see more of her work because it's beautiful. It seems like um, this film was pretty well received by audiences and critics. So I, I bet we will. Yeah. Good. So let's talk a little bit about writer and director Alice Wu. So I looked up a little background on her and she um, was always a pretty serious like student worker, um, child of immigrants. Um, She went to MIT at 16. She transferred to Stanford after that and she got a master in computer science, master's degree in computer science. She became a software engineer for Microsoft And at a certain point, she realized she wanted to write, took a class, and ended up going to New York to pursue filmmaking to try to make her first film, which is Saving Face. And Saving Face came out in 2004. It is currently available on Prime. I think probably at some point we'll end up covering that, too. I saw it. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, like, it's definitely a very different film than this one. Like, the half of it is, like, the teenage Netflix, you know, rom-com kind of thing and saving face is definitely more a film for grown-ups you know like i think it probably has an r rating um not because of anything too intense but just because americans are like that (laughs) (laughs) and and saving face is like a much more of a dual story about a mother and a daughter who like the, the daughter is a lesbian who hasn't really come out and the mother has a mysterious pregnancy like nobody. Knows. Yeah. So it's interesting. Okay. You've got kind of a dual mother and daughter, both coming to grips with being different than their community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In a culture, culture clash and all kinds of cool things going on. So yeah, I would recommend watching that one as well. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Anything else you wanted to add about Alice Wu at all? Just that I thought she was really cool in the um, interviews that I read and watched. Um, and hope she makes more. Like, I like her style. I like her voice. Yeah, I guess, um, like, I've just remembered, like, one thing that explains the big gap between her films, like Saving Face in 2004 and then this one in 2020, is that she actually did go and take care of her mother's health for a period of time. So she wasn't focusing on hustling and, and filmmaking sure. life. She was taking care of her mother. So she really values family, according to interviews I've read with her. And you see it in the films. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> what? What? Like, that's what I mean. Like, all of it's like all the love there. You know, it's adorable how it's like, oh, this isn't a love story. Um, it's such a love story. And it's not just love. Like, it's not just romantic, but right. familial, yeah. platonic. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So for our cast, we've got Leah Lewis. Um, she It looks like she was in Nancy Drew, the TV version, which I have not seen yet. And some kind of movie called How to Deter a Robber. She seemed like she was one of the main actors in that. What looks interesting, though, for, from my perspective is it looks like she's going to be voice acting in something called The Tiger's Apprentice, which had like a really good cast. So okay. I think probably she's an up-and-comer as well. For sure. Then we've got Daniel Deemer who plays Paul Monksky. I do I did not check if he was Canadian. He totally sounds Canadian to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like what am I doing here? <laughs> he hasn't done anything like really that I'd heard of, just some TV and shorts and indie features and he is 6 foot 3, which sometimes causes actors problems. So Yeah, no, really. Like, it's true. Yeah. yeah short actors don't want to act with tall actors sometimes and like yeah, someone's got to stand on a box or be dug in yeah, a ditch or something yeah, like that yeah. to get shots. <laughs> so but i hope he does well and then alexis Thanks. who we forgot to look up how to pronounce her last name lemire possibly plays aster and again she's been in things that i hadn't heard of yet and then i was interested in the man who played um ellie chu's dad um edwin chu is played by someone colin and i don't know how to pronounce his last name exactly c-h-o-u he actually was started out as a stunt man and a martial artist, and he has done a lot of movies, Taiwanese and Chinese films in the past. So it looks like actually there wasn't a lot of just dramatic work. So this is pretty cool. Like mm -hmm. you're seeing somebody who's sort of transitioning into a quieter type of acting. And I, he was great. And then let's see, the other people, th those are really the main characters. Like yeah. the, those are the big four. And then um, the woman who plays the teacher. Yes, which um, we will talk about later. Which we'll talk about. <laughs> she's been in stuff. She's got a long career, and that's pretty but great. Becky Ann Baker. I mostly think of her as the mom in Girls. Like, she's Hannah's mom in Girls. So, like, I, I honestly, like, I've put her in that role in my mind. So, when she showed up, I'm like, oh, Hannah's mom. Like, this is what she's up to these days. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I know. It's weird. Some, act, some actors, like, that happens, though. Like, Mark Harmon, for example, is always Ted Bundy to me because he was in that freaky Ted Bundy miniseries when I was a kid. So. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who gets No, started. I do that with um, Peter Sarsgaard. Is that how you say it? Skarsgård. Um, yep. Uh, Boys Don't Cry. Boys Don't Cry, really? Okay. Yeah, okay. he plays that bad guy. And oh. um, every other role he's in, I'm like, you played that really bad guy. I even saw him in real life, like in Brooklyn, <laughs> in our, we, we were in the same neighborhood and I'm like, there you are playing that bad guy. And I just, 
poor guy. Okay, so we've we've gone over like kind of the basic things about the movie. Like one really unique thing about the movie, which you can actually see more in depth. So Netflix has this like film club on YouTube that you can look at and they'll have little features about their films, which I think is kind of neat and I didn't really know about before. There's one on the opening credit sequence and I, I watched that. I think you watched it too. Yeah, because it was beautiful. It's stop motion, um, which I, I admire. And I've never tried it people who do it i'm like you're amazing um and it was just i don't think i've ever seen credits like that it was beautiful and something about stop motion like the the emotional quality to me always has this it has a feeling of of longing it's Mm -hmm. because it's because it is a start and stop this like stuttering of like trying to reach and it does it gets there but it's a little there's a gap and i just think it's beautiful and leah lewis's voice over it her beautiful voice She's, narr- she's narrating uh, basically this theory of love from Plato's Symposium, where we all start as these like four-armed, four-legged people who are then separated. Because yeah. I, th- I think what the gods are jealous or something. I can't remember the exact reasoning for why. Yeah, separated, like the but- gods are jealous, and they they feel like if they have each other, there's going to be no need for them. So and so we're, we're talking about searching for our other half that has been split apart from us, which is only one, I think, of the possible interpretations of this title, the half of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a cool sequence. Like narration is very controversial in movies. Some people really hate it. So do you think it worked in this film? Absolutely, I do. I thought and it is it down to Leah Lewis's voice or do you just like the words? I like the words. I thought it was fine. I, I did not because I hear you on that. And sometimes it is. I'm like, oh, yeah, you cheated. Um, or <laughs> when I'm watching films like that, I'm like, mm-hmm. um, but I was not taken out of the moment. You know, yeah. it put me in the moment. So yeah. it definitely involved you right away in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I would also put that to the score as well, which was also beautiful. So the the film is kind of only loosely based on Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I've never seen the film that's actually probably the most based on it, um, the Steve Martin Roxanne. I've heard it's very close, but um, I've seen the yeah. a faithful version of the movie <laughs> from 1990 um, with Gerard Depardieu, which was directed by Jean Paul Rapineau. I've seen that one so many times, and mm-hmm. I've read the I've read the play. I've not yet read it in French, but so I intend to at some point. So I love Cyrano. But it's only yeah. really loosely based on Cyrano. So like there's a there's a fair amount of um differences. So where there's the most sim- similarity, I think, is in the main characters. So Ellie and Cyrano, it wouldn't seem that way, but I think they're very similar. Like they're both these really intelligent people who feel kind of alienated from their environments. Mm-hmm. Like obviously their reasons for being alienated are different. Like Cyrano, he's basically just got this very big nose, people have made fun of it, like Right. The only reason he's not kind of ostracized more is he's a really great uh, warrior. Um, I can't remember what rank he has, but he's in the military and he has a high, pretty high rank and he's known for his bravery. Mm-hmm. But Ellie, you know, she's dealing with not only being an immigrant and possibly one of the only immigrants in her town, but she's also a lesbian and she hasn't come out, but she's afraid of being found out for that. And being intelligent in a small town can also be difficult, but that she has in common with Cyrano. Um, yeah. And another thing I, I, I think they have in common is I think they both underestimate themselves in the story. And we'll talk about that more as, as we talk about the plot. But like I, one of the things that you that Cyrano is trying to tell you, I think the actual original story is that like try 
be bold. Don't underestimate yourself. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I, I think I th- saw that play out thematically in this film. Okay, then you've got their love interest, in, which in the case of this movie is Aster. And in the case of Cyrano de Bergerac is Roxanne. Roxanne is Cyrano's cousin in the original. And they're quite close. They have quite a good relationship, but she just doesn't know he's in love with her. Um, Aster is kind of not very, just an acquaintance of Ellie at the beginning of the movie. So there's a big difference there. And another big difference, I think, is Roxanne's a little, to me, Roxanne's a little more obviously, you know, intelligent and discerning. Like Roxanne doesn't have some stupid boyfriend, for example. (laughs) Aster is saddled with a kind of lame boyfriend named Trigg. Yeah, that makes a big difference, I think, in how the story goes. And then you've got Paul and Christian. Christian is in Cyrano, the the young man who um, actually his cousin Roxanne comes to him, to Cyrano, and tells him, I really like this guy, Christian. And so that's why in the in the original, Cyrano kind of adopts Christian, takes him under his wing, and like tries to help him woo Roxanne. In this case, it's the opposite, like Paul's coming to Ellie. And yeah, I think they're they're both very similar characters in that they're both like really well-meaning people and and you know, pretty good at what they do like well, I don't actually Christian's probably better at what he does than Paul is what he does. <laughs> Their football no. team's really bad in the movie, which is hilarious. So he's bad at football, but he makes the good sausage. That's like his dream. That's and he's true. Like, oh, he makes good for- sausage, you're right. Paul and he's got like plans for the family biz and he wants yeah. to branch out. Yeah, well, that's important to remember about Paul. Yeah. That's right. Thank you for defending yeah. him. <laughs> My pleasure. Sweet Paul. Anyway, they both have their skills, but their skills are not intellectual or being skilled with words. So like that's that's a that's a fairly similar dynamic. So yeah, that's this is that's the sort of the ostensible basis for the film. And I think it makes a really good like solid trope to base the film around. Like you can put a lot mm-hmm. of different kinds of characters into that trope. But mm-hmm. you don't have to follow it to the letter at all. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. So as the cultural references in the film, though, beyond Cyrano, there are like about a billion of them. Yeah. I love that. Yeah? Uh, I did. And I was like, ooh, ooh, oh. <laughs> it felt a tiny bit. And I didn't think about that till later, like Gilmore Girlies, where they're always, you know. I've never watched Gilmore Girls, to be honest. So you'll have to elaborate on it. <laughs> oh, that's about it. Like they're constantly quoting stuff, pop culture, yeah. literature and all that. And it's great. You're like, Ooh, I mean, you know, you feel smart. You're like, Oh, <laughs> I know that too. Ooh, cool. But, um, so what were the references, what were the references to things that you cared about or, or liked? Jane? Oh, I noticed like Philadelphia story. I noticed I Friday, Casablanca, a lot of yeah. the old so all stuff. Those, all those, it yeah. should be noted, like Mr. Chu, Ellie's dad is kind of watching and she kind of watches things with him. It seems like one of the things they do together is watch. Yeah. They, eat dinner um in yeah. front of the tv together and not yeah. talk much <laughs> i mean they're watching a movie yeah yeah <laughs> so but yeah I, like, I, the, do you think what do you think those were adding thematically do you have any ideas about those like because i haven't seen philadelphia story or his girl friday oh they're good um i uh, well you know they're they're kind of classic um their love stories which i love that like you know you're watching a love story a story about love while they watch stories about love and yeah. relationships and um uh so i'm like yeah that's right there i love that um casablanca i did notice that they use the i think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship and i thought that might be significant like yeah for like paul and ellie 
Yeah. And they also watch Wings of Desire, which I did watch at some point a yeah. while ago, but I don't remember it. And Wings of Same. Desire, Ellie ends up cribbing a quote from it in the first letter that they write to Aster. So, yeah. And then Aster notices the quote. So it's like, ooh, she's smart. Right. She's also yeah. obscure films. <laughs> well, right. Don't you feel smart? You're like, ooh, okay. I, you know, I kind of wonder, like, it makes me wonder, like, to me, like, it's very natural to have other teens watching obscure movies, because we grew up in the era of like the video store, and you could go to the video store, and you could just comb for like movies. But these days, like, there are a lot of streaming platforms that just don't have stuff like that. So I'm wondering if it is as common these days for teenagers to be watching like kind of obscure foreign films, or if it's just more Alice Wu is more of our generation. And so she probably grew up with the same kind of cultural... you know, opportunities. What do you think? That's a very fair point. Like, for instance, my brother, whom you know, um, and grew up with too, he still gets Netflix via DVD. Oh, no way. I didn't know you could still do that. I didn't know you could still do that either. But the reason he does it is so that he can get all those old films that are not streamable via Netflix, but you can get on DVD. I dropped that service a while ago. It's just harder to run into like media by accident, I think, because they're algorithms. And if you look at my Netflix versus my husband's, right. totally different content. You have to right. like, be kind of searching things out. But a video store, you might just happen to run into something and be like, oh, that looks... Or the video store personal to be like, hey, you know, Martin at Goldmine Martin Video. Martin at like, Goldmine Video. <laughs> great. Shout out to Martin at Goldmine Video. Those were good times. Those were such <laughs> great times. Anyway, we, we won't go too far off like into the w- woods on we- this one, but like... But like, but yeah, like there's a lot of cultural references. It felt very Gen X to me on that level, just because Mm -hmm. like the kids are just watching such cool stuff. And then um, Remains of the Day. I love Remains of the Day. So by Kazuo Ishiguro. And he's written a lot of other stuff like Never Let Me Go. But that Remains of the Day remains my favorite. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of the only books that has ever made me cry. Like. Like I actually cried really? reading the book. Ooh. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. And then Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins, of course, are in the adaptation. I have yes. no idea why the Ellie Ellie's character says that the movie could have had more Nazis. I'm not really sure why that is. Why they why the character thinks this, but whatever. <laughs> so there's all these references in here to these different. And oh, sorry, we should put in Remains of the Day has a lot of longing. And the first time Ellie and Astor encounter each other is the classic drop the books in the school hallway. And one of the books Ellie's drops is Remains of the Day. And Astor said, I love that book, all that repressed longing. And that's kind of the moment where you're like, oh, Ellie's really going to be into this girl. Like, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. made a connection over literature. So one final reference, which I have not seen is Sartre's No Exit. Have you read that? I don't think, I don't, if I have, I don't remember yeah. at all. <laughs> And it's for some reason it's being taught in the school and and the and the quote is hell is other people. I, I really call BS on that being taught in school. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems too advanced for high schoolers, in my opinion. What do you think? Like I, I mean, don't know. Is it a play or a yeah, it's a play. I know why I know it because when I worked at the drama bookshop, I shelved it all the time, but mm-hmm. I never read it. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about Ellie and her father next? Yeah, sure. So one of the main relationships in the movie is between Ellie and her father and her mother had died. I can't remember maybe when she was 13. Yeah. That's when yeah, she said 13. her father had died. Um, and I, I watched um, one of the interviews with Alice Wu and it kind of says, you're supposed to kind of get the feeling her dad has given up and you definitely like he's watching TV. Sometimes he cooks, 
he does his job kind of and like that's about it yeah i don't think he even does his job ellie does it for him which is like yeah which let's tell about what his job is so they he works at the train station in town and it looks like his job is to like do the switches like yeah or the signals is it the the signals both of them i don't know train thing train Train stuff (laughs) (laughs) important train stuff though yes important train stuff um but yeah ellie's in the little engineer's booth doing the job sometimes and that that's sweet and sad and he even says it like yeah where he says you know my wife died and then you know the next day i saw ellie you know 13 doing the lights for the train and yeah. you know already grown up at 13 and yeah. and he just kind of you know left it and let it be and yeah ellie clearly loves her dad and and she's also clearly taken on a very like mature like role in her family unit and she's had to be mature because of her mom's death but also because she's growing up as an immigrant and she's growing up with like you know a fair amount of microaggressions um she people keep calling her the Chinese girl throughout the film, uh, for example. Yeah, yeah, Jeez. yeah. Even though it's clear some of them know her name, <laughs> yeah. And we've got like her relationship with her dad, which is really sweet. And they watch the movies together and they talk about things. And then, although not about her being a lesbian, she they don't talk about relationships. But then you've got Aster's relationship with her dad. And Aster is the daughter of the local preacher. What's the correct term? Preacher, pastor. I don't pastor. know. Pastor. 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 Mm-hmm. And it looks like a pretty conservative uh, denomination as far as I can tell. Yeah. It doesn't say like what denomination they are, but it's pretty like where I think there's roles that are expected of you. And um, I think it, she's yeah. got to be like the good girl. Um, you know, she's the, the pastor's daughter, the pastor's kid. I'm not a pastor kid, um, you know, but I've known plenty of them. And um, it's a, it's a dicey space to be in. Um, I like to think that our current pastor, my past two pastors have done really well, like, you know, raising their kids, both of which have daughters. And, and without that, like, setting that expectation of the congregation having expectations of their children, you know? So mm-hmm. some, some people are doing it well. Some have yeah. not. In the past. So you feel, so you're noticing that Aster probably doesn't only have to deal with the expectations of her parents, but the whole community because of this role then. I would. Yeah. I mean, I think she kind of feels that right. Don't, I don't know. Uh, you know. I didn't grow up religious, so it was hard for me to. Well, like, I'm just talking like that. in terms of like with her friendships at school and like you see that and, Alice Wu talks about that. Like she um, has the other, you know, uh, Aster's friends, you know, they're all wearing the same colored scarf and they want Aster to wear it too. Like right now where then, so they're all wearing this, you know, kind of brightly colored scarf. And, and she talks about how she heightened those characters a little bit. And she did it very well where I feel oftentimes these teeny, teenager movies with like the popular girls are so 
over the top. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me want to barf. And my seven-year-old daughter's watching them. And I'm like, these are not real teenagers. I'm like, no, no, teenagers are smart and, and uh, you know, wise and oh, boys. <laughs> oh, man, I did not have that experience. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But they I, weren't the plastics either. So, yeah. Right, yeah. right. But that's all I feel like how teenagers are those girls, those kids are represented in these. It was, yeah, it was a pretty nuanced um, approach to all the characters in the movie. I felt. Yeah. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like, I feel like while Ellie isn't telling her dad, she's gay. He like, they still have, they have a loving relationship. He cares about his daughter. He talks about it later where I think he cares about like seeing her, you know, where it doesn't seem that Aster's dad, cares about really seeing who she is exactly especially you know later on when we get into some spoiler scenes yeah all right so let's talk about also squamish which is the setting for this movie so i was totally fooled and thought it was from washington state because i lived in washington state for a while i lived in both seattle and bellingham and there are very similar name places in washington state there's snohomish and suquamish and sammamish and like it's just like yeah that sounds right and they talk about like wenatchee in the movie and like i had friends from wenatchee so i'm like yeah this must be a real place i want to go there it's so pretty and then right. sophia found out that it was in upstate new york well i looked it up too i'm like where is this place and it's like it's not a real town it was filmed in new- upstate new york and and but they talk about real places. So yeah, I was yeah. like, where is it in relation to, you know, and. Well, it totally, yes. it totally seemed like your prototypical Washington state, small town. Like it was another version of forks, like from twilight or something like that whole, like kind of moist and many trees around and like not too many different people, et cetera. And, yeah. but I found it interesting. The train station where Ellie and her dad live near and work at is part of the Adirondack Scenic Railroad. And I really want to go to the Adirondack Scenic Scenic Railroad now. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So I do want to talk about small town life because Sophia and I are both from the same small town, which is, can we say where our small town is? Do you care if people know? I guess not. No, go ahead. We're both from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is very different than this town because Lake Geneva in the summers is very populous, very a lot of people around. So you have a few more amenities than you'll get in a place like Squamish. Um, but yeah, like I did, we did go to school with roughly the same, you know, several hundred people for our school lives. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so you get like kind of some of the same things going on. Like I really related to her being called Chugga Chugga Choo Choo. So she's bi- biking to school every morning and um, like she's these guys go by in the truck and like every single day they're like Chugga Chugga Choo Choo. And of course, like there's the added thing of like they're making fun of her name for being foreign, for being different. So I didn't obviously didn't experience that, but I swear to God, my entire school life, people be like, Howl, my last name is Howl, um, like Jennifer Howl or Howly Owl or all these like weird names. And like, I was not popular. Like in the sixth grade, my mom told me I came home crying every single day from school, every Aww. single day. She was Aww. very worried about me. And I, whew, I definitely had a hard time. It took me a long time to recover from being kind of bullied or yeah, being called names. And yeah, I can't. I I think Ellie's experience has the potential to be much worse because you know not only 
she's different because she's smart. She's different because she's an immigrant. She's different because she has this secret about being a lesbian. So I'm not going to say my experience had the same weight, but I totally related to it. I thought it was really well done. There have been some of the Netflix movies like Tall Girl, which I thought was really stupid. (laughs) Sorry, Tall Girl. Because I'm a tall girl and it was not like my experience at all, but this really like the universal experience of feeling kind of alienated from your community. I felt it. Yeah. I, I was, Oh, I was picked on a little bit later earlier. Um, I was, you know, called chubby. I'll mm-hmm. just say it a nice way. But then uh, later on, I just, I was, I, I don't think I was popular. I don't think I was unpopular. I was just kind of, you know, there. Um, yeah. One of the middle kids. One of the middle kids. <laughs> so do you think the film captured small town life well from your perspective? I mean, that small town, um, I think yeah. ours was, um, like I said, a little more populous. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It still is. I thought Squamish was beautiful too, though, to I be honest. So too, but like I can, those kids didn't seem like they had anything to do. Um, well, I mean, I come on. In Lake Geneva, they- there were people hanging out in the Walmart parking lot when they could have been at the lake. So... <laughs> We, we, we can't necessarily blame the town for this. Like that was like the hot hangout when we were like, when I was like a senior was people would go to the Walmart parking lot. And I'm like, really? I wasn't there. See, <laughs> if that was the hot hangout, I had no clue. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Anyway. So it's like, I mean, they go to the beautiful hot spring that's like right outside of town and they show the downtown near the end of the film. And I'm like, that's a cute downtown. It is. I know. Right. I'm like, Oh, sweet, cute town. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think it did a good job capturing it. But every, like you say, every small town is different. Okay, one one little quibble too. Like, so in this movie, there's a teacher character, which we'll go into. Her <laughs> well, I actually, she's our next topic. Okay, can we talk about her? Can we move on from small towns? Sure, go for okay, it. So there's a teacher in this movie who is supposed to be, I guess, an inspirational figure for Ellie. <laughs> so the teacher knows that Ellie's writing these essays for like all the students in the class and getting paid for it and mm-hmm. the teacher is okay with this she says or ellie's like why don't you turn me in and she's like and have to read the actual essays they'd write and as soon as that teacher said that i hated this character <laughs> i hated her because i've been a teacher so i've been, i worked as an esl teacher or efl technically in korea for like seven years I actually made an entire syllabus and textbook with like a ton of information about teaching kids how to paraphrase rather than plagiarize, like step-by-step going through how do you take notes? How do you do your research? How do you make sure that you're paraphrasing things, et cetera? How do you like, you know, cite things? And this teacher is just like throwing that all away (laughs) and saying, it's, it's good if you write essays for other kids. Like, I'm not going to blame Allie. She has her reasons for doing this. She needs to make some money. And like, you know, maybe there's not a lot of opportunities in that town. But the teacher should not be okay with this. And um, so I I really didn't like the teacher. At one point, she actually grabs Ellie when she finds a love letter she's written for Paul. And she says, so this is why half of my class is failing their essays. And I'm like, no, that's because you're not teaching them well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I mean, because like you you can't blame teachers entirely when students fail. But this teacher, like the way her teaching style is showed, it's just like she's writing quotes from Sartre on the board and then like just staring at the students like they're supposed to do the work. And like I hate the teaching is portrayed like this in movies so much where it's like it's really easy to be a teacher. All you have to do is go up front into the classroom and bullshit about something for a few minutes. Write mm. a quote on the board. That's teaching. <laughs> like To be fair, it'd be hard to portray teaching accurately, but it's a real pet peeve of mine. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yes. At first when she was like, uh, yes, when she first came on, I, I kind of appreciated like, oh, you know, she sees 
Ellie is, yeah. you know, super intelligent, far more, you know, um, interested in learning than, um, you know, the rest of the class. But again, right. It also upset me where I'm like, oh, maybe you could work a little harder at engaging your students and inspire, you know, <laughs> but there is a degree of like, the, there are kids who just don't care. Um, sure. That's got to be so hard on a teacher who, well, I think. But I've taught so, kids but, like that too. I've yeah. taught kids who are completely opposed to even learning English and I've gotten, found a way to get interest them in it. So it, like, I, it, it yes. really bothers me because I think it degrades the expectations of the teaching profession when you see these kinds of scenes in movies yeah. or attitudes. Anyway. Sure. They show teachers who are like burned out and don't care anymore. And they show kids like completely like dumb and like yeah. also don't care. Yeah. And that's annoying. And that's something else my daughter sees. And I'm like, I'm telling you, people like to learn and like keep. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's really, really frustrating on both oh. ends. And this um, brings us around to small towns again, because the teacher keeps trying to convince Ellie to go to Grinnell for, for college. Like, I don't know why she's obsessed. Oh, because she went to Grinnell. Because this teacher who's so happy with her life <laughs> went to Grinnell. So she should go there, too. And it's like, I actually had a college visit to Grinnell. And if you're living okay. in a small town, like, you do not want to go to Grinnell. You want to go, like, anywhere else. Like, my mom and I went there. And, like, my mom called it Grin in Hell. Like that, cause, cause it was such a small town, so small. Like there was like one movie theater with one screen and it was playing the movie Milk Money, which is like, where like, Melanie, where like somebody yeah. pays Melanie Griffith to like sleep with their dad or something. And I'm like, this is unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot go to a school where the only movie playing at the th local theater is Milk Money. Wow. <laughs> Maybe a weird criteria, but you know, I'm glad That's I didn't. Serious. Make that is serious. <laughs> Good. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why Alice Wu is like like trying to get people to grow to Grinnell in her script. But but hey, gosh, if that maybe that's just to say like this is how small her small town is. If this other place is like big or maybe getting out or something, maybe it's known for English lit. I don't know. Like that's the only thing I can think of. Oh, maybe that's why I went to visit there too. I'm not sure anymore. But yeah, don't, kids, don't don't go there unless you can handle a really small town. Just don't. Or if, like, you really want to, like, participate in the Iowa caucuses or something. I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Goals. <sighs> All right. So, But the um, long and short of it is, don't plagiarize. I totally, I was a bad student. I did some copying. Did you so really? Are oh you my. kidding me? Yes. I fudged so many things. And... And in college there, I'm confessing because oh every once in a while it creeps up on me. I'm like, my God, how the heck did I do that? I could have gotten everybody. I could have gotten in trouble. I didn't even think of those consequences. Well, I will say that one thing about this that like that I did in my, um, this is a little bit off topic, but one thing I did about this when I taught students abroad is that instead of making like a really moralistic thing, I kind of like just help them to understand like, what are the like reasons that it's beneficial to me? not to plagiarize. What are the reasons it's going to help me learn English? It's going to help me learn this material. Like, and also you have to teach kids how to not plagiarize. You have to teach them how to write, how to well, take Thank notes. you. I like, didn't, maybe so I didn't important. feel like I got that teaching. They're like, here you go, kids write stuff. And I'm like, it's already written in a book. <laughs> oh yeah. She had really smart. She had the stupidest essay assignment too. This teacher had 500 words on Sartre's use of thwarted desire. Seriously? That's your essay assignment in high school? <laughs> Sorry. I don't remember any of that. Yeah. Um, 
essay mills are really common these days. You can buy papers online. So that's like kind of where Kelly Chu's business comes from. It's like not a unique thing. It's a thing that goes on quite a bit. And, um, oh, and let's also make a link here to like the plagiarizing in academia. And then Paul asking Ellie to write these love letters, plagiarizing in love. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do we, do we want to get into spoiler alerts? Spoilers. Spoilers. Let's, we're going to talk about how the movie goes on. So like Ellie and Paul, um, during the course of writing to Aster, both write written letters and texts. They begin to kind of develop a friendship, like spying on Esther, seeing what kinds of things she likes, just talking to each other. Ellie's kind of educating him a bit. So they're becoming friends. And then Paul and Esther um, start to have a few dates, which... (laughs) What do you think of of their dates? Oh, painful. So painful. Yeah. Unlike in Cyrano, where Cyrano kind of stands below the balcony and feeds Christian words to say to Roxanne so that he can say them in real time. Like Ellie takes over for Paul and is just like texting Aster during their date, which is so weird. (laughs) But people do that these days. People will just like text in the same room. So it's not it's very modern. Yes. Yes. My husband and I have done that. Um, I'm surprised Aster went out with him again. Way to go, girl. Um, I mean, the letters are so good, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I could buy somebody being that shy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's see. There's a school recital. First, there's a school recital where Ellie has to play the piano for some reason. Somebody sabotages the piano. Lame. And Paul Mm. encourages Ellie to play a guitar instead. She plays a little song she wrote. Then all of a sudden, everyone wants to hang out with her. (laughs) She goes to a party. Um, She gets a little bit tipsy. And Paul takes her back to his place where she sleeps in his bed. Not with him, I don't think, though. And then no, the next morning, Aster shows up after her trip to see Paul and finds Ellie there, and they go out and have a good time together after Ellie assures Aster that Paul's all about her. And then, let's see, Paul um, gets a crush on Ellie then um, because Ellie goes to his football game, and he realizes, I think you're supposed to see him realizing that he's more excited about Ellie being there than Aster. And honestly, okay, one quibble really quickly in the middle of this plot summary. How would how would Paul and Aster even manage to have a relationship with each other in a town that small while Aster is still dating Trig? Like, how would that even be possible in a town that small? I know. Like she's waving at Paul at his game. Like how is nobody noticing that and gossiping about it and telling Trig? Right. That's only, that's one quibble I have with the movie's plot. Hmm. Just that one. I mean, there's another one or two, but like, that's the main one. Yeah. So, so then after the game where Paul manages to score, apparently the only touchdown in like 15 years for their team. <laughs> see what i mean it's hilarious i laughed that was that was hilarious and then the cheerleaders start screaming we're on the board we're on the board that's fantastic anyway yeah. after that paul's really excited and he sees ellie and he kisses her and just as he's kissing her of course aster walks in and yeah. because ellie is so defensive about it to, to aster and seems very worried about what aster thinks paul finally figures out that Ellie's in love with Aster and that she's a lesbian and he's like, it's a sin. (laughs) So sad. Yeah. But then later on it gets, it gets okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we said, we're going to do spoilers here. Yeah. Wait, there's something else. Oh, I, I was confused by that. I kind of thought he already knew early on. I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't you catch it earlier? And there's that moment where Ellie thinks he's caught it, but he totally hasn't. Uh, 
like when Ellie's describing like all the good things about Aster, like Ellie is so afraid that he's figured out that she's a lesbian, that she loves her. But like, really, he's just like, oh, I'm so stupid. Like, that's how you should talk about someone you love. (laughs) (laughs) He's so obsessed with, he's so worried about his himself that he's not even seen this thing that Ellie's inadvertently revealed to him, which I think is very true about a lot of humans. Like people are so wrapped up in themselves. Sometimes they don't see things that are obvious. Yeah. So Ellie and Paul and Aster, like after this kiss scene, they're all kind of isolated from each other for a while. Then there's the church scene, which I don't know if we want to do our clips now or later. What's your still later? Okay, we'll do them later. So at they're at church. For some reason, everybody is at this church. Ellie's reason for being there, she plays the piano for the congregation, even though she is doesn't believe in God, but she plays the piano well. Um Aster's there because her dad's you know, the pastor and Trigg's there because, you know, he's the same denomination, I guess. And then Paul apparently is too. Maybe there's only one church. The weird English teacher is there. (laughs) (laughs) The town church. Yeah. Um, I mean, most towns have a couple of churches, right? It's true. They do. Right. They would have like at least two. Coincidentally, Um, everybody's at this one. So, (laughs) yeah. So at the church, Trigg asks Astor to marry him. Um, she nods. Yes. She doesn't exactly say yes. She nods. And then Paul and Ellie both kind of stand up to object. Yeah. And after we're talking about that scene a little more later, Paul and Ellie become friends again because Paul basically says at the church that he's okay with her being a lesbian. He's okay with it. Like he understands now Ellie runs into Aster and right at the end of their scene where they talk to each other, uh, Ellie runs up and kisses Aster. And that is my second quibble. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cause I don't think it was earned. Like I, I didn't like, I didn't feel like it was very clear how, what Aster actually felt, what, what her actual even sexual orientation was. I didn't think it was clear that Aster was saying she had any feelings for Ellie in that way. And she didn't give her like a look like they talk Ellie and Paul talk at one point about how do you know when to kiss someone? And Paul's like, yeah, give you a look. And I'm like, yes, they do usually give you a look. There was no look as far as I could tell. I went back and watched again. Like, I don't see a look here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh-huh. I mean, I understand why you want that scene there to like be kind of affirming to people who are coming out and to like have a gay lesbian love story with happy ending, et cetera. Like, I feel that I see the value in that, but I feel like. I don't think it would go well in real life to do that, especially in the middle of a downtown that's conservative. Uh-huh. Like, like I, I just feel like it would be an awkward situation potentially. So I don't know. Thoughts? Um, so I think I said uh, between our back and forth, I'm like, okay, I love these kids, but they are far more emotionally mature than I was at 17. Like, no, that none of that would have gone, gone over with me at 17. I would have like run away and never talked to anybody ever again. <laughs> so wait, who, in what situation? Like, like, Oh, like if, if my friend Paul kissed me, if, uh, my, my gay friend came out to me and kissed me, I would have been like, Wah! and just, you know, cause it would have been different and, and um, yeah. again, my own insecurity. Um, yeah. Like wouldn't have been able to handle any of that. So um, way to go. These kids, 17 <laughs> year old self would have. Well, I, kid I don't know. Away. I was pretty like uh, bold and I was pretty like, you know, 
yes. mature, but like Your. a part of that maturity is like, I probably wouldn't have kissed somebody taken that on upon myself to do that unless I felt a pretty strong signal or I would have asked like these days, you know, enthusiastic consent, like asking permission is pretty de rigueur. Like, I don't know if we need to always go that far. Like in my personal philosophy, like the look to me, like you, there is a look, although mm-hmm. you can misread it because Paul thinks Ellie's giving him the look and you can clearly misread that. But like, I, I would want some indication and I just didn't feel like that was there in this scene. So I wish maybe it had been done just like slightly different. Like Aster could have hinted a little more strongly that she was interested. I don't know, something. But. She, I kind of missed it. She does say something. Well, she says, well, she says she kind of knew, like deep down, she I knew it was like it was not right. Paul. It was, but did she know it was Ellie? I think you're supposed to think that, but I, at okay. the same time, I don't know if that's like the same as saying like, you know, like let's hook up. I, mean, I don't know. Oh, right. For sure. Because she just says maybe in a couple years or something like that. But she says maybe in a couple of years she'll know, but like, know what? Oh, she'll know. <laughs> like, know what? Oh. Like, who she oh. is. If she's, if she's interested in girls, like what, what, what is she going to know? I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. I mean, yes, it is vague. And yeah, and so was it earned? I mean, I thought it was a great kiss. I was like, now that's a good kiss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like for like I'm like I'm glad that like I want yes I wanted that to happen. I'm glad it happened. But was it earned? Was it? Uh, would it have really happened? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. So things that are earned, let's talk about those. So there's a scene early in the movie where like Paul and uh, Ellie are watching a movie together. And it's one of those scenes. I can't remember what the movie was called. I looked at You can find that one online. But there's a scene where a lady's in a train, like driving away or, and then um, a guy's running after the train, that kind of classic romantic scene. And Paul's like, this is really romantic. And Ellie's like, oh my God, it's so trite. He's such a moron. He's never going to catch the train. (laughs) <laughs> Paul goes to see Ellie off at the train station because she's taking the train from her podunk town to another podunk town to go to Grinnell. <laughs> People who go to Grinnell are going to hate me. <laughs> like, oh, well. Anyway, but but uh, Paul, of course, like it's almost inevitable. Like this is when something's earned, when it feels like, of course, this happens. Mm-hmm. Like Paul runs after the train and Ellie is like, you don't see her expression at first, but she's looking back at him. And then when she turns around, she's like laughing and crying and she's like, more. Yeah. but like, but you feel, you just feel that these two characters have grown to be such good friends over the course of the movie, like maybe lifetime friends. And yeah. Like yes. And you know, it, it is earned also because he's running after her all over the place to the yeah. point that it makes him a better football player. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And he's able to score that time because he's running after her when she's biking up the hill. He's chugging after. And then yeah. he keeps going, hey, hey, like I grew to really love his the way he says, hey. <laughs> and yes. Oh, and it should also be mentioned that each have a nice little character arc. So Paul's like struggle through the whole movie has been standing up to his family to develop different sausage recipes, creative sausage recipes for his family's sausage business. And he has mm-hmm. this taco sausage he's really into. And so mm-hmm. he's finally making progress on that. And Aster, instead of marrying Trigg, is applying to art schools. And Ellie is off to Grinnell. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she will transfer. <laughs> And let's let's give her dad a little arc oh, there yeah, too, yeah, yeah. because he he knows she needs to go. And at the end, he's in his engineer suit, and he's ready to have some life again too. And that that's yeah. really precious and beautiful. It and is, it is. he makes all the like, what is it he make? He's making like dumplings, the sausage yeah, dumplings yeah. for her to take with her. Yeah, <laughs> it's very sweet. <laughs> See, 
makes me just weep. No words. But the it's not like Ellie isn't going to go to college, but her original plan is to go to college at UW, UW, University of Washington, and then still live at home, which implies that this place is somehow close to Seattle. I don't know. I guess it could be a different UW, but everyone calls it the one in Seattle UW. So well, anyway, but like originally she was going to still live with her dad and they've moved on and realized they each need to have their own journey. So that's good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, we, we have in our notes here about like, what's this, you know, the symbolism of the train station, mm. um, right? Like it's the, it's the symbol of a journey. Yeah. And here she, here she was stuck sending all the people off on their own merry way. Yeah. And now she's on. Yeah. Oh, it's train. so cool that she's on the train at the end. Yeah. It's so cool. I love that. I love the whole last segment. Yep. Again, beautiful. So let's talk about like some of these relationships in the film, like saving Ellie and Paul for last, because I think there's the most to say about those two. They share the most screen time for one thing. Yeah. Um, First, um, Ellie and Aster. So Ellie is our main character and her love interest. What do you think about their relationship? It's a little heartbreaking because it's like, oh, these are kindred spirits, you know, in this small town and they could be, you know, talking about all these films and books and ideas and art and together like face to face um instead of like via text and like kind of secretly and thinking you're somebody else um so that's that's a real drag um and you know it's not gonna you know they're not gonna be together in the end and so that's also like really yeah, heartbreaking you know this from the beginning because she basically says she, so in she the narration so. yeah 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 like i think the ending gives you a little bit of an opening to think well maybe they'll get together maybe. i don't know yeah yeah but, I mean, who knows yeah like i for me like i didn't really feel that relationship as much but it's more because of the kind of character aster is like there's a lot of times in rom-coms there's kind of this idealized girl you know mm-hmm. that the characters are interested in and I feel like Aster falls pretty, pretty in line with that. Like she's very beautiful. She's popular. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's smart, and like they, they try to show that more. But like she's so not smart in the way she's living her own life. Like agreeing to marry this trig guy, even staying with him. Like she's obviously bored of him in every scene she's with him. I don't even get a sense of like why she's with him. Like, right. are you more forgiving of this? I am because I feel like that is. Um... I feel like that's very real. Well, okay. Speaking for my own self, like going along with what's expected because you want to, you, you know, not everybody's brave enough to go out on their own and stand up for themselves. Like you want to be a part of the group and you Mm -hmm. want people to like you and you're a people pleaser and that kind of thing. So finding your own voice and like living in that takes time for a lot of people raising hand right here so i can definitely see that because i've done it for sure like having my own thoughts and being like well but the group i'm with says this one thing and i'm not so sure but i'll just you know keep it status quo i won't speak up yeah so um a lot of my life has been that way (laughs) so yeah, I don't know still, if I was still finding my voice, you know, I was never popular enough ever. Like, and I was very unpopular to the point where it, it never made sense to please anyone at school. So <laughs> I think I do have those tendencies to want to be liked for sure. But like, like I never felt like, as much pressure probably to like fit in at school because like, like from the get go, I was like the tall, skinny, nerdy one. And it's kind of like, well, 
there you go. <laughs> it does give you a certain freedom, I guess, which is something Ellie mentions in the story, even that when you don't fit in, you can kind of be who you want to be. Yeah. I, th- I think if was like just, I was that medium person, yeah. you know, where it wasn't, wasn't overly liked, wasn't disliked, wasn't shunned in any way, but not like, like, hey, man, you just said that the hangout was at the Walmart parking lot. I didn't know that. So like all these. So, I don't know if that was the popular. That's what I always heard about. Like, people like hanging out at the Walmart parking lot. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I don't it know. It was definitely a popular circle that anyway. partied and did whatever that I never hung out with. I, I mean, I feel like I had a couple circles and that was not one that I was like there for. Um so let's so, talk about um, Paul and Aster then. So Paul, I don't get the impression he's the most popular. I think he's probably a middle person because I don't think football is like a big deal at the school comparatively since they suck. <laughs> Their team is right. not good. But a Paul, middle person. So Paul like is probably middle. a middle person, yeah. And so what about Paul and Aster? Like, is there anything there at all? No, I think she probably comes to see like he's he's a nice person. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that there's like a deep... Um, bond. I think they could like an event and maybe like five, 10 years, these three are going to hang out and they're going to be friends and, and have uh really good relationships, I think um, amongst each other. But like, I don't think like Paul and Aster are going to get together or anything like that. Yeah. Like I think an interesting thing they show in the film is Paul's attraction and Ellie's attraction to Aster are very different. Like Paul, like he sees the value in Aster, but he can't quite articulate it. And I don't think he like understands it in a very specific sense, but Ellie's mm-hmm. appreciation of Aster is very discerning. Like she sees the little details. Like they they show this painting that Aster does at one point of a flower and Ellie notices the actual strokes like that made the painting, like the little details. Whereas Paul's just like, it's pretty. And like, right. it's really sweet that, you know, to be told something's pretty and to have it appreciated, but to have it appreciated in that discerning way. It's yeah. very special. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of our favorite relationships, I think I can speak for both of us, is Paul and Mr. Chu, Ellie's dad. So great. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, they, they bond over meat. <laughs> <laughs> they have a sausage fest. They have a sausage fest. <laughs> oh, man. Um, which is really sweet. You know, they don't, yeah. they don't say much. You know, and which which is great because Paul's not a guy of many words, yeah. right? And and Mr. Chu, you know, doesn't maybe he's self-conscious maybe about his speaking. I don't know. I think so. I think I feel like that's how it is because when he also talks to Paul about his wife and Ellie having to take over, he's he does it um in Mandarin. Like in Mandarin. Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. Yeah. Because obviously Paul's not going to understand at all, but he listens. And I think that that's what's so lovely about Paul, you know, the scene. Okay. Maybe for another favorite scene we can talk about later. Um, But I have another favorite scene. Okay. When we get to that part. I love how Um, when when he pauses with Ellie at the train station, he says he's going to, you know, take care. He doesn't say I'm going to take care of your dad, but he says I'm going to keep him busy trying new catch-ups. And like, that's kind of a version of, I'm going to take care of your dad. Like, I'm going to make sure somebody's visiting your dad. Yes. Oh God. I love him so much. See, that's beautiful. Crying. (laughs) Tears of sweetness. So are we ready? Can we talk about Paul and Ellie's relationship? Yeah. 
Okay, so I, we're, we're before the show, we we're talking amongst ourselves, and I was telling uh, Sophia here that I ship Paul and Ellie as friends. So shipping is a term, it's derived from the word relationship, if you're not familiar with this. Shipping is when you really root for a couple to get together or just like to be together. Maybe you write fan fiction or read fan fiction about them or make little fan videos about them. I have seen that there are fan videos about Paul and Ellie's friendship. I think just as a friend, I don't think anyone's trying to like shoehorn them together against their sexual orientation, <laughs> but um, yeah, but it's, I, I ship them as friends. I think it's such a beautiful, it is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Like, yeah. so that's what shipping means. I've shipped so many ships in my life. Most of them romantic and most of my ships fail, unfortunately. <laughs> so I just, I love their friendship in this, in this movie. I think they both give each other, like so much, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go into this prototypical quote from them. So Ellie's trying to educate Paul about culture, like high culture. So he can talk to um, Aster more effectively. And she's telling him the plot of no exit. She's like, three people are trapped in hell. The door's open. Nobody leaves. And Paul is just like flabbergasted by this. He's like, my Nana hated Minnesota. She left. And Ellie's like, your Nana wasn't one of the great thinkers of the 20th century. And Paul says, my Nana's not trapped in hell either. <laughs> I love that quote because I think it just like epitomizes their friendship. Like yeah. Ellie's very intellectual. She's very like discerning and smart and interesting, but she can also be a bit cynical, a bit detached from practical matters. Whereas Paul is just like, he just goes in there and he goes after what he wants. And he, you know, he's very in the physical world. He's very like, he's he's looking at things like whether somebody wants to be kissed, looking at their eyes. He's not, his head is not in books. His head is in reality, making things, making his sausage. And I think it's just a good combination those two. Well, and what he does for her, like this is kind of, the, I think her turning point in like giving him a chance as far as like, fine, I'll talk to you. I'll teach you how to talk. I'll teach you how to do whatever. When she's biking to school and he's, chugging up after her and those boys in the truck drive by and they go Ellie choo choo and he and he runs after them he's like shut up you know to, I think for her to have that once in her life to have somebody tell those people to shut up yeah like my gosh like that is you know right he's a man of few words a kid of few words um but what he does give to her is so huge um, yeah. when they're at the Goodwill and she's trying to find clothes for the, that, you know, recital oh, thing. Yeah. And he's like, you look awful. <laughs> he's like, you know, I'll bring you some clothes, you know, go to the dressing room and I'll bring you things. And he encourages her like, to look like herself. I think that's really yeah. important. And you don't have to dress in this fake way. Just dress in something that you yourself. And, you know, how sweet is that? That's beautiful. That's the friend that she absolutely needed in her life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think like she also, she's doing that behind the scenes thing for him where you find out that she's been writing to these local papers to tell them about his new sausage <gasps> recipe, yes. which he finds mm -hmm. out by accident. And I think that's very meaningful to him. Yeah. Like they're both supporting each other's endeavors. It's very, it's very wholesome. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can see that's like my favorite. That's my favorite love. We, we still haven't talked about one of the main themes of this movie, which is really like I've never I don't think seen a movie which so sort of explicitly um, brings up various theories about what is love. Like people yeah. 
wondering out loud about it. There is a theory of love, a philosophical theory in the credit sequence from Plato's Symposium about the other half theory. And, and there's the quote, the, the opening quote that you see is, love is simply the name for the desire and pursuit of the whole. But yeah, like, so this is Ellie's kind of opening um, philosophy of love. She's buying it. You will feel an unspoken understanding and unity. Or at least she's putting that in the essay she's writing for another student. But I think she feels that, that, that you will have another half. Do you agree? Disagree? Yeah. Yeah. I believe. Yes. It's a pretty idealized theory in a way. Like, I, I won't say that I don't, I don't believe in obviously Plato's exact rendering of this where we had four arms and four legs. I don't think Plato did either. Socrates right. did either, but like, whatever. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I do believe that, yeah. that you can meet like soulmates or whatever. And then. Yeah. 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 And then. Soulmates. Interesting though. You say plural. Yeah. Like, I believe. Some people think yeah. there's only one. I think it's preposterous to think that in a world of like so many people that there's one. Like, right. and the other thing is, plenty of people are married more than once and happily married more than once. And the other thing is, I think you can have friend soulmates and family um, soulmates. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying yes to all of that too. So there you go. But then we get some competing theories of love. So Paul, Paul, and Ellie are talking about Aster. And she's like, how do you know? Ellie's like, how do you know you love her? Have you talked to her? Which is a pretty reasonable thing to ask. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, not really. And he's like, but I think about her. And then he's like, love makes you screwy. So that's that's not much of a that's not as much of a theory of love. But well, is it, is it all that different from this idea about like uh, the love is simply the name for the desire and pursuit of the whole? Is are those two things that different? I don't know. Love makes you screwy. I is, think is the felt experience that different between those two things. We're getting into uh, deep let's see. Love is simply the name for the desire and pursuit of the whole and love makes you screwy. <laughs> I mean, desire pursuit. Those are both like names for things where you're kind of screwy. You're acting kind yeah. of. Yeah, they are the same thing. I'm going to say they're the same thing. And um, then he. Also, uh, oh, go ahead. He, well, just to say what another theory of Paul's is like, isn't, that what love is how much effort you put into loving someone yeah and and when he says that in the movie which is interesting ellie looks speechless for the first time around paul she looks mm -hmm. like oh this guy said something that might be true she that's the look on her face she's kind of taken aback she's like oh this guy thinks mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. <laughs> and i think it's actually like i don't know if it's something i realized about love which makes me seem really immature to be honest but until i was much older i don't think i really thought about Love is an act, action. Love is effort. Mm. But Paul mm. is here thinking about that, and as a teenager, I mean, you can you can do a, a bad version of that, like a dark version of that, where somebody puts an effort and thinks they deserve to get something in return. Sure, I don't think that's at all what Paul's character is doing. No, no. Oh, sweet Paul. <laughs> he's very sweet. He's not like um, he's not being the the good guy stereotype where like he's with the fedora. <laughs> He's, he's just really honestly very sweet and works hard to try to. Yeah. yeah. So then we have another one of our, um, like this little, what are they, what do they call it? Titles, title cards or something where they put up the quotes on the screen. Yeah. That works. Yeah. For, yeah. I and know what you're Oscar Wilde quote in love. One always starts by deceiving oneself and ends by deceiving others. That is what the world calls a romance. <laughs> <laughs> None of the characters say this one and nobody even talks about Oscar Wilde. But um, yeah, it's put kind of in the middle of the movie a little bit. Well, isn't that what they're doing? They're kind of, there's this whole little level of deceit. 
you know, making Aster think this is really Paul sending all these texts and what well, to know. what extent are they deceiving themselves though? Because it says it starts by deceiving oneself. So do you feel like they're deceiving themselves? Hmm. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of projecting onto Aster. As For much sure. as they agree yeah. about you know, literature and film and everything. Like I think it's hard to know somebody very deeply, even if that it, when that's all you know about them, maybe. Yes. I think so. I mean, well, my own example is like, you know, back when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I want, we're going to like the same music. We're going to like all these things, these criteria of what would make a good partner. I think my husband and I, like, we can agree on three bands. That's <laughs> it. Like, and even then I'm like, all right, I got to turn that off. Can we please turn that off? Like, we don't like the same music, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um there's a lot of those kind of things that, you know, you can be like, oh, wow, we've got so much in common. Um, Some people swear by the pop culture thing, but I don't think it's all that important either. Like, I mean, my husband and I do have a lot of that stuff in common, but it's not like why we're together by any means. Right. Right. I'm with you on that. So then we've got, let's see. Ah, yeah. So Aster and Ellie are together and they're talking about Paul, she thinks. Aster's really talking about Ellie's letters, basically. And she says, when she reads them, I've never felt so understood. So I thought this was an intriguing um, version of love. Is love being understood? To a degree, I think. Um, I think in terms of like when you're ready to be like completely vulnerable and like air out all your laundry and still that person's going to be like, I'm still going to stay with you. Um, You know, there's a level of understanding there. You know what I mean? Versus like, oh, I don't want to handle that garbage. But is it the kind of understood where like somebody looks at your painting and they see the, see the strokes that you put in? Like, I think for me, that would be very meaningful. Like, so I see, or like understanding not just this book, but why I like the book, you know, mm-hmm. like, that level is like, it's very, yeah. interesting. I don't know if that's the whole of love, but that like, that's something I notice. That's a nice part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's a nice feature. We're just getting around pieces. I think like the point, I think what we're getting to is that like, these are all pieces maybe, or most of these are pieces of love. There, there's not one, re- one, there's not one way or one philosophy maybe. Would that, would yes. that? Yes. I would agree with that. Although I don't think this next one describes love necessarily at all. So Aster then is talking about Trig and how he wants to marry her. And she says, he's just so sure. And maybe that's love. And I'm like, eh, is it though? <laughs> like, because I don't feel like Uh-oh. Trey's boyfriend loves her at all. Like, he, I don't think he knows her, sees her. Like, I think she's just, he sees, he calls her a little lady when he proposes to her in church. And he goes to Ellie and is like, wait, what does he say to her? He's like, oh, I, I can tell you're into me. Oh, yeah. Trey thinks but, Ellie's into her. Yeah. But he's the one that's like, when did she get so hot? It's like, hey, Oh, that's right. He comments on her. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say someone's hot if you have a girlfriend. Still, yeah, you. Yeah, true, 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 true. But like, I don't know. But like, you're he's so you're t- doubting whether he's even sure. But yeah, I don't. I think he's definitely playing into that role of like, this is how I'm supposed to be, yeah. and really believing it. Um, I mean, they're what seventeen, eight, he eighteen, and he's proposing to her. I mean, that happens in small towns. Totally still. happens in small towns. Yeah. Um, Especially if you've been with someone for a long time, which I think it's implied that maybe they have been. Golly. (laughs) Like, I wanted that when I was that age. 
Um, I stood up in a couple weddings when I was that age for people my age. Um, looking back, I'm like, golly, yeah. <laughs> you're just a kid. You're just a, just a little little baby. So then Trigg during his Trigg has another thing, but I don't think it's his theory. So in the church scene, which we'll oh, yeah. a little more in depth, Trigg goes, Trigg reads the standard kind of reading. What is this? Do you know what this reading is from? Like uh, first Corinthians. Okay. Uh, chapter 13, one through oh. whatever. So he does the love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So like, I don't have a problem with that theory of love. I think it's a beautiful expression, but Trigg's saying it. And Trigg both <laughs> all the time. He's, I wanted to barf. I'm like, barf. You don't know. You don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, he, he doesn't know what he's doing about. it by rote, just like you said. Right. He's just doing what he thinks he's supposed to do. That's the thing that people say at like half of the weddings you go to. It's yep. like, like unique. It's not, you know, saying something from his soul necessarily. But I mean, right. as a theory of love, I think it's not bad. Like, love is patient. Love is kind. Okay. Right. I don't. I, I think in its purest form, it probably doesn't envy and doesn't boast, and it's not proud. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I would sign off on most of that. Mm-hmm. Bible holding up for you. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. <laughs> um, and not just because you know my husband's a um, ordained minister, so. Um, I, I was I was grooving on that before I we got together. So Yeah. <laughs> I guess it is a funny way of putting it. I don't know. So like I think like the next quotes we're gonna do are actually from that church scene. So do you wanna just like segue into talking about the church scene actually? Sure. I suppose I I mean I identify with it because my like God church Christian journey started in high school. Okay. Um and my young church days were very much in, um, I just don't want to be mean and cruel and like point fingers at certain denominations, but I don't think they um, do things well um, in terms of a lot of social justice, a lot of, um, you know, freedom to ask questions and kind of come at uh, life and faith through a f- lens of fear mm-hmm. and non-acceptance and stuff like that. Um, so we, you can glean whatever you want from that as far as like which groups of Christians do that. Um, so what am I trying to say? So in this scene when like, sure, of course that 18 year old kid is going to quote from, you know, first Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind because, um, that's what's that's, expected of him. That's and proposal. Yeah. Just what was give, that? And just to give context to the scene, that's when Trigg proposes to ask. That's when Trigg proposes. And I feel like, you know, there's definitely, uh, this is what's expected of you. And if you veer off in any way or question in any way, well, you're being led astray. And so if you mean it or not, it, but if this is your community and this is what's expected of you, you just do it. Right. So, when this big reveal happens in the church mm-hmm. um, where Trigg proposes to Aster and she doesn't even say yes, very clearly looks distressed and like that her father is all like, yay, this is a great idea. It's so upsetting to me yeah, and so it. hurts my heart because yeah. I saw so much of that as a young person 
Um, and in the young people that I hung out with in church and in youth group mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and just a lot of lives hurt by a lot of that. Um, so it felt familiar st- to you, this scene. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, but then, you know, Ellie jumping up and like saying her piece and well, first she um, just shouts no. She shouts so, no. And then yeah. Paul, I think Paul actually says his piece first. Like, yeah, he does. Should we play? Yes, play the clip. So Ellie has shouted no, and she's been kind of shouted back down by the pastor. And then Paul speaks up because he's going to make sure things get get done. So let's listen to Paul. Love isn't pretending. Uh, I know um, because I've been pretending Uh, only for a few months, but it sucks. And I've been thinking about how much it would suck to have to uh, pretend to be uh, not you uh, your whole life. I always thought that there was one way to love. Uh, one right way. But there are more. Uh, so many more than I knew. Okay, it got cut off there a little bit. <gasps> it got cut off. But he says something like, I never want to be the guy that stops loving one for loving the way they want to love, I think is how that yep, That's it. I never want to be the guy that stops loving someone for the way that they want to love. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and it's important to note, he's not outing Ellie here either directly. Like, I don't think anyone in the church has the slightest idea what's going on except for Ellie not at all. and asked her. <laughs> right. Right. But like, to me, what he does right there, to me, that's what the church is supposed to be. And I love that his speech happens in a church. I and think then, maybe this may be Paul the bravest person in this story. I, I mean, he's I, pretty brave. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Although he's not brave enough to try to woo Aster without somebody to help him write letters. So <laughs> also. This was a learning lesson. I don't think he's going to do that again. Like with his, the next girl that he likes. Then we have, after Paul said his piece, Ellie is empowered to say her piece. So let's play. Let's play her clip. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Love isn't patient and kind and humble. Love is. uh, Love is. Love is messy. And horrible. And selfish. And. Old. It's not finding your perfect half. It's. The trying and reaching and failing. Love is. Being willing to ruin your good painting. For the chance at a great one. Is this really the boldest stroke you can make? I love that. I love that quote. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that's the moment when she says, is this really the boldest stroke you can make? She has definitively outed herself as the person who wrote the letters to Aster. And that's when Aster gets it. Like, oh, this is who wrote the letters. Mm-hmm. So everything's going down. Everything's being put on the cart. All the cards are being put on the table, except no one else in the church would have any idea what's happening. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's okay. It's a big spectacle and... That's okay. so, and, but Esther leaves 
And she doesn't marry Trig. She goes to art school. Yeah, but she doesn't leave before she slaps Paul. <laughs> That's Paul, but is looking at Ellie while she does it. And in fact, I think I saw that in one of the articles about the film and Alice Wu is like her slapping Paul, but looking directly at Ellie is like, I can't slap you, but yeah, yeah. I'm slapping you through Paul. Yeah, I see that. So yeah. like Ellie's little speech here, like she's saying like love isn't kind and it's selfish and horrible. I think she might be taking it too far for me. <laughs> When you're young and you're feeling love, what you think is love, I think a lot of times it does feel selfish and you will feel horrible because you've put expectations on someone else to love you back. And messy, I think, is okay. I agree with messy. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a difference between like when you found like love that is healthy and when you think you're in love, but things aren't working out. What do you think? Yeah, unrequited love is... Oh. <laughs> probably uh, what that is. I have that a lot is, of experience uh, with that. But even requited love can be selfish and horrible. Like there are people who get married and they're jealous of each other all the time or fighting each other all the time. Or like, but you know that, I mean? that love though? I don't think it. No, that's what I'm saying. It, it doesn't yeah. have to be unrequited to, and you could have unrequited love where it's not selfish and horrible, where you really want the best for someone else and you just can't be with them, but you still feel something for them. I mean, yeah, I just want to. I, I just want to like stand up for my fellow victims of multiple unrequited loves out there. <laughs> yes, high five! I raised my hand to that one for sure. Because that is like all I had for a long time in my life, so I relate to that. But yes, yeah. yeah. But bold. She also says like a word that I'm not sure you could actually hear well in the quote. She says it's messy and selfish and horrible and bold. Bold. Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know if love has to be bold, but I think like a lot of times you have to be bold to get love. Well, it's part of the risk, you know, you're like, hi, I love you. (laughs) Do you love me too? Yeah. I sure hope so. (laughs) And then there's the other piece of that, that even if you get together with someone, like love is still risk because when you love someone, something's going to happen to one of you eventually. Like you're not probably going to die like that old couple in the Titanic that just are holding hands. One of you is probably going to go first. Like you're you're putting your heart out there. It's bold. So I sign off on that. (laughs) Yeah. What have we learned? What have we learned about love from this movie, Sophia? I think what the love that stuck out to me the most is the, is the platonic loves between Paul and Ellie um, Ellie and her dad. Um, Paul and Ellie's dad. <laughs> Paul and Ellie's dad. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. Um, very they're, sweet. They're all caring for each other in those scenes. They're all supporting each other. They're all trying to help each other be their best. Yeah. And those are the ones that, ones that are going to last. These like romantic love ones. I, You know, they're young and they're still figuring those things out. And I think that, you know, they're going to, all three of them will go through more growth. Yeah. Um, so what did you learn? Let's see. I think I really liked that they had a character, Paul, who the love was demonstrated through effort. Um, mm. I think it's been one of the biggest challenges in my life is seeing love as an action rather than a feeling. And my husband's love language is uh, acts of service. And that's not oh my, my love language. I don't even my- notice 
sometimes when when people do stuff for me. I think I in my life I'd taken it for granted too much before I looked at before that love language thing became popular. And then mm-hmm. I really started to notice like all the little things he does. And mm-hmm. I'm like, and then I started to try to do use his love language more towards him. So for yeah. sure. So but gosh, I, mine has been the same. Yeah. Acts of service. Yeah. He's so, really good. And I'm like, oh God. I have to do something. <laughs> I love you. I'll do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think like a lot of guys have that. I can't say statistically what the, you know, th- stats are on that, but I think a lot of guys are acts of service people. So I like that they had a character who basically, he does things for people, you know, yeah. he, makes, he makes them food. He, he watches out for them. He has their back. Yeah. And we have one more favorite scene to talk about, which is, um, yeah. Like, so, Oh my God. So what I, in this scene, like Esther, or I'm sorry, I'm I'm mixing up their names. I guess that's their ship name, Esther. No, Ellie and Aster. (laughs) (laughs) Aster drives Ellie over to this hot spring and they spend this day together and they're just like floating in this hot spring and they're talking to each other and there's this beautiful shot. Oh my gosh. Um, Speaking of the half of it, there's this beautiful shot where you see um, their half their face above water and the other and it's reflected down in the water and both of their heads in the same shot like their heads uh, how, how would you describe that they're like head to head you head know as head. if you were yeah. laying down their head to head floating yeah. and you see their heads above the water and then their reflections in the water and yeah. it's all like steamy and they're both beautiful and it's just so dreamy half that other half thing yeah that other half the other half which is also um prefaced in the credits the opening credits the little character looks in the water and is looking at their reflection and and then you get the in this uh Super dreamy, beautiful hot springs scene. And they're, and they're playing If You Leave Me Now from Chicago, which is a very melancholy and beautiful song. <laughs> also a very Gen X touch, though, because it's, it's definitely like oh. a song that, like, you know, our parents probably would listen to. Yeah, but anyway, this it. is a beautiful, it's a beautiful scene. And I love, like, um, Ellie says, this was my mom's favorite song, like, If You Leave Me Now. And mm-hmm. she says, she said, every song, movie, story has a best part. And then... Aster goes about the song. Was that it? And I love this because it reminds me of that thing in *Inglorious Bastards*, where like talk about bringing in something totally different. Where, um, where like Brad Pitt's character is carving onto the Nazi's head, and he's and he says, "I think this might be my masterpiece." And people at the time were saying, "This is Quentin Tarantino signaling to you that this is his masterpiece." And I'm like, in the movie, I felt like this is Alice Wu telling you this is the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's what I felt like. I felt like it was a little cheeky kind of like addition. And cause that, I did feel like it was the best part of the movie. Like it was so beautiful, so dreamy, so away from the rest of the world of the movie. But yeah, I felt like that was like a similar filmmaker touch. Like, like this is the best part. Just so you know, just so you and know. It, and it, it, was, it was, it was really beautiful. Anyway. Um, yeah. I think that brings, I think other than favorite scenes, other than that, we already talked about Paul chasing the train. I love that. And Paul, Paul t- totally tearing down the plot of No Exit. Also love it. I'm not very much like Paul. I'm much more like Ellie. But I think maybe that's why I like Paul so much. Like intellectual people need people to bring him down a little bit. <laughs> down, to, down to earth. Not like down like not smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, you know, down to what the regular people are talking about. 
But I am like Paul, though, because I'm not cynical like Ellie. I'm a total romantic. I would love somebody running after a train after me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have an, a character you identified with in the film more than others? or? Well, I think I put stuff on Aster that I don't know if it's entirely true, you know, but like that kind of going along with what's expected of you, even if you have different ideas and are afraid to vocalize them for then, you know, then, then what, then you're going to be disappointing people. I mean, not not that I was the popular, beautiful girl. It shows you the popular, beautiful girl. You were not funny looking. She was not funny looking. But anyway... (laughs) But anyway, it's, 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 but it shows you that the popular beautiful girl like has things going on that you might not know about. Right. And uh, I feel like a lot of people who have it all don't have it all and feel that they can't say that they don't have it all, that they are struggling or have different thoughts or different ideas because, you know, people view them in a way and then you feel like you got to live into that and then you fall apart and you know have a breakdown and which is ultimately good um because then you tell the truth about yeah. yourself so um yeah i think that brings us to the basically the end i for double feature recommendations is something we've started i would just recommend watching mainly watching uh, alice Wu's other film saving face which is from 2004 and i think it's on prime right now and it was very enjoyable but very different very different film i mean Like if you're a teenager listening to this, or I don't know if a teenager would be listening to this, but we swear a lot, but you weren't a swearing teenager. What am I I even talking about? I swore all the time when I was a teenager and I watched tons of R-rated movies. So never mind. Watch Saving Face. It's great. (laughs) And then the other recommendation I have besides Saving Face would be um, Cyrano de Bergerac, the 1990 version, because it's so beautiful. And it's beautiful. It's a b- great play. It's so well written, and and you can watch it then in its original French. So you kind of get the f- the flavor of the words as well. Any other ideas for recommendations? Or I mean, well, you could go to the black and white. Uh, I've um, never seen it. de with Jose Ferrar. I've never seen it. Is good. Um, again, it was all a long time ago, but yes, um, a long time ago. All right. I need to go back. I need to go back because it has been a long time. <laughs> well, we're going to be keeping busy reviewing some other, like other films too, though. So you're going to have a lot of watching to do. I'm afraid. <laughs> I can handle it. Yeah, I in the coming weeks it. again, we're going to be doing some more modernization of literary texts, and uh, first off is going to be Clueless. So um, if you want to write us, um, you can write. Feedback at everyromcom.com. You can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. And yeah, anything to add, Sophia? No, no. no. See you next time. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, awesome. It was really great talking with you today, Sophia. And I look yeah. forward to next time. Take care. You too, Jen. See you then.